Hi, I'm John Niehaus, Director of Program Development for the National Association of Flight Instructors. I'd like to welcome you to this episode of the Naffy Moore Right Rudder Podcast, the podcast for flight instructors on the go. And today, this episode is actually brought to you by Avemco Insurance Company. Now, Avemco is the official insurance of Naffy. Protect your career with the only insurance created exclusively for Naffy members, where you only pay for coverage for the class of aircraft that you teach in. You'll also automatically qualify for extended protection from lawsuits by former students as long as your policy was active at the time of the accident. Plus, you'll be covered for both instruction and your private flying. The advantages of a NAFI CFI insurance policy from Avemco don't stop there. To learn more or request a quote, please visit www.avemco.com forward slash NAFI today. Now, if you do that, you'll be talking to potentially my guest for this episode. Now, Luke Barnett is uh, the assistant underwriting manager at Avemco. He's been there since 2007 and uh, has done some really great work for helping NAFI members navigate the policy. Luke, welcome. Hello. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Now, I think as we were discussing prior to uh, the start of this podcast, I think insurance in itself sort of has this mystique. And I think in aviation, it, it has maybe even a little bit more where we don't truly understand insurance in general or what goes into it. Certainly not what uh, kind of goes on behind the scenes. And that's part of what we're going to talk about today. So Luke, tell us a little bit about uh, what it's like to be an underwriting manager. What does that mean? What goes into it? My main job is really to um, assess risk and help maintain a a loss ratio um, that's set by by the company. Now, I remember when NAFI and Avemco originally started the uh, the discussion with the the CFI insurance policy, and you guys have been staunch supporters of us uh, since before that happened. Certainly, ever since. And I mean, it really is an amazing policy for, for flight instructors. I don't think you can really even find anything comparable out there for what you guys provide. And just, uh, you know, I wanted to say thank you on behalf of uh, NAFI and, and our, our board of directors and certainly our, our members for just the, the amazing support that you guys have provided and helping our members navigate through this process. Well, thank you. And, and we appreciate the good partnership we've had with NAFI. Um, I, I kind of remember one of the first meetings. I wasn't part of that meeting, but I was uh, at the event where where the you know it was coming together and um, the ideas were starting to form to have this partnership and and it's been a, a good partnership ever since then. So thank you and thank you absolutely. To your so again, back to kind of uh, what we wanted to talk about here, just sort of uh, pulling back the curtain to insurance, uh, you know, even into a little bit of the instructor policy itself. Um, you know, if I'm an instructor and God forbid something happens and we damage an airplane and, you know, I had the NAFI CFI insurance plan, what do I do? I'm standing here next to a, a potentially broken airplane. Let's assume that, uh, that both myself and, and the students are, are okay, thankfully. And, uh, now all of a sudden we've got to figure out. What happens now? What what uh, what steps should I start taking immediately to to figure this out? Obviously, we'll leave kind of the the regulatory FAA stuff about reporting accidents and stuff. We'll leave that out. But uh, what do I do with you guys? Yeah, as far as the insurance is concerned, is you know 
you're going to be in a non-owned aircraft, but generally speaking, you you still want to make sure you secure that airplane from any further damage. So, you know, that could be if you land it off airport, something like that. We want to make sure that the proper people are, are contacted. Obviously, if it's a non-owner or rental airplane, you want to contact the FBO. Um, but if it's, you know, an owner's airplane, secure it. You know, if there's people who are injured, of course, you know, render first aid if, if you can. Um, and at that point, it's contact the insurance company. Um, our, our claims department is open 24 hours a day. Now, if it's after hours on the weekend, you're probably going to get a voicemail, but we do have someone that monitors that 24 hours a day and you would get a return call that would help you set up any kind of, um, you know, retrieval and, and kind of let you know what the next steps would be right after an accident. So is it kind of like, um, you know, if I get into a car accident, does it sort of follow that same kind of timeline where I take pictures and I submit it into, you know, the, the insurance company and then they come back? Do you guys send out assessors? Like, how does this all come together? So typically, you, you, obviously, we would take pictures from the insured. Um, you know, we do have people right after the accident, they'll, they'll snap some pictures with their phone and, and send that in. Of course, if you don't have any, um, typically we do send out a claims adjuster that will come out and investigate the claim. They'll gather um, the aircraft information, you know, the logbooks, make sure the airplane was in the annual, all everything was up to date for that, as well as the pilot's logbooks to make sure you're up to date with your, your annual flight review, things along those lines um, to help determine coverage. And then they would also investigate the type of loss. Um, you know, to confirm that it is a, a covered loss based on the type of accident it is. Hmm. And so are there things uh, that an instructor could be doing that would make it not covered? Um, I know that's kind of a weird question, but, you know, could we be could we be accidentally doing something that would result in in non-coverage? Well, this policy it, first off, is an excess policy. So if there's other policies in place, this is going to be excess or secondary. And it also is considered a liability policy, meaning that the CFI has to be at fault for the loss. Um, so, you know, if you're flying a, an owner's airplane and he didn't maintain the brake system and, you know, something failed on the brakes, the CFI is not held liable for the maintenance of the airplane. So therefore, the policy may not pay for anything if there's damage from an accident related to a brake systems issue. Interesting. Okay. Um, now, if you're coming in fast and hot and you have, you know, your student bounce the airplane, that could be construed as, you know, the CFI should have been paying attention and the CFI may be held liable for that type of loss. And so that's where this policy would ultimately kick in to cover things that, you know, that are accidents, you know, oops, didn't mean to do that. Or, you know, the student did something you just couldn't catch in time, <laughs> which we see on occasion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's that's interesting. I, I, I'm i glad you mentioned that because I think that that's, that's one of those things that maybe people don't always think about is that it's it's that uh, access policy. It's addition to or kicks in uh, presumably after the other policies have already taken effect. Is that a correct way to say that? That would be correct. And you, you kind of deal with two different scenarios here. You have, you know, 
a NAFI member who's giving instruction to someone who owns the airplane, you know, and then you, you're giving instruction to someone who's actually renting an airplane. So you kind of have two different policies you have to deal with. You know, if you rent, that's a commercial policy that this the NAFI policy would work in, in conjunction with, and then the owner's policy, which both of those policies are going to have different conditions and terms on how they are going to pay out and what amounts they're going to pay out for. Hmm. And so one of the the additional kind of optional things for the policy is the hull coverage, right? Correct. So I can get my liability policy and my hull coverage and and forgive us listeners this isn't necessarily a, an infomercial on the the insurance policy itself but it's something that you deal with no matter what you're looking at a a hull coverage policy how does that come into play because you know they always talk about the fact that well you should have hull coverage for the deductible on the insurance policy that you're flying is it possible that that hull coverage would also be Excess? How does that work? So it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be excess if it's if it's on the on the airplane because it's that that would be considered a primary policy whether it's an FBO's policy or you know an individually owned policy those would be primary. So if let's say you're renting from an FBO um, and the FBO has a ten thousand dollar deductible, hopefully the rental agreement is going to say that the renter is responsible basically for the first $10,000 or the $10,000. So that would be the minimum that a renter or a CFI would want to purchase to cover that deductible. And again, like you said, that is an optional coverage, uh, but just like your typical auto coverage, liability is something that we would require that you purchase Hmm. even without all insurance. Okay, cool. So that's good to know. And so how does that work when you're working with a private student and it's time for that private student's uh, first solo? Is there is there any coverage that extends to that? How does it work from a liability standpoint to to send your students away on on their own to you know spread their wings? Sure, sure. I mean, typically, if they're in the airplane by themselves most of your state liability laws are, are, aren't going to necessarily place blame on that CFI. Um, now, that being said, that student or the student's estate could certainly turn around and sue the CFI saying, hey, you know, my CFI didn't teach me how to land this airplane. He signed me off for solo. And, you know, I went off and had an accident or something like that. So there, there's always risk there. So I'll be honest, you're, you're never fully away, you can never fully get away from liability. Um, but the policy is going to protect you um, for training that you have performed um, or signed people off for as long as there's an active policy. So, you know, someone you gave a BFR to six months ago, they turn around and, and decide they're going to sue you or their estate sues you. There's still that, that liability protection under this NAFI policy. That's good to know. And that's and and really kind of what you said before. I mean, that that really kind of you're protected outside of anything like, you know, gross negligence or dangerous behavior or any of that kind of stuff. If you're doing your due diligence as a CFI, as I know our NAFI members are doing, mm-hmm. uh, 
<laughs> you should you should really not have to worry too much about uh, how the protection extends to you. Would that be a correct way to say it? Correct. Yeah, and and I encourage everybody. We we're one of the only companies that I know of that that posts the entire policy on our website. You can go out and read the endorsement that gives you your your CFI coverage. So you are fully aware, and then you can call us and ask us questions with anything you have on the policy and. And our non-owned policy is only four pages long, so there, it's not a lot to get through. So I encourage everybody out there to read your policies and then call us with any questions. Um, everybody here is really knowledgeable that's going to answer the phone for you. That's cool. Yeah. And and having uh, used insurance in other industries, not aviation, uh, you don't always get that. You know, it's... It, sometimes disheartening when you're when you're in a situation like that and you have a hard time navigating phone trees and trying to get to an actual human being to help you so uh, knowing that Avemco has that is is kind of a a nice thing sure how i every accident or incident is is a little bit different and i acknowledge that but you know from start to finish from hey i think i just bent a wingtip to you know, kind of going to the end of of uh, uh, getting a, a conclusion to the case. Is there sort of an average timeline of how long it takes to to go through and navigate a policy? Um, I'll be honest, no. It, it it was probably six to nine months before COVID hit, but with the parts availability issue, it, it has really delayed claims handling. And, and to be honest, uh, it's not really on the insurance company side. It's really on, you know, being able to find parts and things to fix an airplane, to get the airplane back to, to flight status. Um, it, it's just delayed. Um, and we're seeing that whether it's a renter's policy or whether it's, you know, an owner's policy on just the timeline seems to be pushing out further and further. Hmm. So, Here's another thought. Um, when I was doing some independent instruction years ago, uh, I was working with a couple owners who had a 152. And one of the things that they made sure to do, and, and I was a new instructor at the time, so um, I didn't really know any better. They made sure that the aircraft itself under their own insurance policy was covered for flight instruction. And I find that, you know, having I learned that lesson early on uh, through them because of that particular experience. But I think a lot of instructors don't realize and, and maybe you can help clear this up a little bit um, that, yes, you want a instructor liability policy. But my understanding is, is the airplane itself has to be insured for flight instruction. Is that do you know anything about that? Well, so if, for example, if, if I'm an owner of an airplane and the insurance companies require me to receive five hours of dual, typically that policy is going to allow me as the owner to obtain that dual instruction and have coverage while obtaining that dual instruction. Um, now, that being said, if I own the airplane and I want to let you, John, as the CFI you know, instruct other people in it, that's where you might need to start considering a commercial policy, depending on what, what your intent is, how many people you're instructing, things along those lines. So 
there is concern there, but it's it's not really a concern if you're just the sole owner of the airplane getting instruction. Most of your policies are going to cover that. Now, that being said, some of your insurance companies have specific requirements for the CFI to give you that dual instruction. Um, Avemco generally says, you know, the CFI has to be current and make and model. And we're really looking, you know, for three takeoffs and landings in the last 90 days in that particular, you know, Bonanza or 172 or what, whatever uh, aircraft you're giving instruction in. Is there a difference between um, getting instruction because the insurance company wants you to have the like first 15 hours in the airplane or whatever um, versus buying an airplane that you're not even rated for, let's say you're not even a private pilot and you go buy a 172 and you hire a flight instructor to then get you your private pilot. Is there a difference from an insurance company's eyes of, okay, we're just going to get you comfortable in the airplane versus we're going to do your entire training in the airplane? So there's certainly underwriting guidelines. You know, we don't put students in retractable gear aircraft. Um, But that being said, you know, and rates are going to be different depending, you know, if you're a private pilot transitioning into a, a retract, that's going to be different than, you know, a student pilot rate, you know, even in a 172. Mm-hmm. But other than that, generally speaking, it's just going to be based on the training and the training, you know, the hour requirements for the training. But um, we don't look at it any differently. Okay. That's also good to know. It's, it's funny because you just... I think a lot of pilots don't understand these things too. And they go to CFIs and they start asking us like, Hey, what do I need? And, you know, I always like to joke that that CFIs wear a lot of different hats. You know, sometimes we're therapists, sometimes we're pilots, sometimes we're mechanics, sometimes we're insurance people. And it's, I don't, I I was never trained for this. This wasn't on my check, right? I have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, and, uh, you know, people even call into NAFI and, and it's funny cause, uh, I, I think sometimes, um, people think that we sell the insurance and I go, you, you need to call of Emco Cause I, I don't, I can't answer these questions. Sure. Um, sure. <laughs> uh, so common misconceptions. I mean, I know we've already touched on a few of these, but when when you talk to pilots, what are what are things that you find most often people misunderstand or, or maybe even don't understand at all? I hear if I crash, I won't be alive, which it, you you gave kind of a weird look there. And and I do too, because the majority of our accidents are actually ground related, you know, whether that's weather, whether that's taxing. Um, and so there's not a whole lot of death and destruction in those type of losses. Now, of course, we do see those, but that, that is a common misconception with a lot of, especially new pilots, people that are, you know, starting their flight training. Um, also is that, you know, if you're an independent CFI, that the flight school's insurance policy is going to fully cover you. Mm. Now, there are some flight flight schools that will fully cover their CFIs. Um, but be aware that you're sharing a limit with a company. Um, so you may want to consider a separate Nando NAFI policy, maybe liability only, that's going to help bridge any kind of gap and give you that extra protection and actually hire you an attorney to defend you and your assets, not relying on a company's attorney to defend you and your assets. 
So, so let's back up here. If I crash, I won't be alive. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I'm trying to sort of analyze this as, as we talk about it, but it, that's an interesting statement. Um, are they trying to say that, well, I don't care because if something happens, I'm going to die anyways, and it won't be my problem. Like what, yes. what are they trying to say? Yeah. And, and so they don't, you know, if I, you know, if I crash, what I'm, what am I worried about after I crash? Because I won't be around, but that may be true in some circumstances, but if you have a wife, a kids, a home, you know, your estate in general, you, you are, you should be concerned about that because, you know, you probably want to protect your estate oh, yeah. and this policy would clearly help protect your estate and give you legal defense in any type of lawsuit, even if you are uh, deceased after the accident, it will still defend your estate. <laughs> it's it's not funny, but it's it's just a weird way to to, to phrase that. <laughs> yeah, it is, and I've heard that from experienced pilots as well. It, it's interesting, huh? So, um, you know, and and kind of the other the other point that you mentioned uh, regarding flight schools and stuff, um, you know, coming from that world, especially when I first started out one of the other statements that you would hear all the time is I'm a 20 something freshly graduated college student. I don't have any assets. I don't have anything. If somebody's going to sue me, they can have the moths that come out of my pocket when I, you know, unfurl my, my, my jeans, you know, I guess there's something to that, but I mean, there's, just because you don't have anything doesn't mean people can't sue you, right? Correct. So that's not necessarily an accurate statement. Right. I mean, you are going to want some type of policy. It, it, at, at a minimum, you want the liability policy because every policy of MCO sales has unlimited legal defense. So we don't cap attorney fees. So we'll, we'll stand behind you and defend None of the assets that you don't have in order to make sure we can settle the claim and therefore they're not garnishing your wages for the next 30 years, Ooh. things along those lines. Um, I don't, I've never seen that action taken since I've been here, but I would assume in some States they would, they, that, that could be a possibility. So hear that my, my young CFI friends, just because you don't have any money doesn't mean that uh, people can't come after you for money that you haven't even earned yet. So, um, you know, certainly think about that a little bit. Um, you know, it's, that's, that's one of the most common things I think I hear about, you know, I, I, I get, uh, established pilots who are coming back to flight instruction that are extremely scared about the liability to the assets that they've spent a career developing. Um, and I think that there's some, some legitimacy and truth to, to understanding that, um, I just don't think enough is spoken on those that are building their career because you're you're probably the most at risk because you're the newest in the profession, not just as a flight instructor, but also as a pilot in general. You're still pretty new um, and you you don't have anything to your name. So you can have an issue to your reputation that is affected by not fighting something. Right. If 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 I lose a lawsuit because of liability, am I necessarily going to get another job? Am I going to get another flight instruction job? Am I going to, maybe I want to go to the airlines Are the airlines going to hire me with a uh, lost lawsuit 
to my name because of, you know, assumed negligence or, or some other issue there. So I think it's something that people just don't think about. No. And, and, and just like any, anything you do in life, having a liability policy, you know, even your homeowner's policies extend, you know, outside the home in certain circumstances to give you that liability protection. So it, it's very important. And if, if I can push anything to the NAFI members is, at least buy a liability policy to protect you, you and your assets and your, and your family's assets. So what if I am an independent instructor and I have gone through the process of setting up my own LLC? Okay. So I'm not running it through my own personal finances and stuff like that. I'm running it through the LLC. Does the policy have to be set up differently if I'm doing an LLC or can it be exactly the same? So we insure the individual CFI um, under this product, the NAFI non-owned CFI. We would not put the policy into an LLC name. Um, And ultimately, if you're in the airplane giving instruction, it's not the LLC that was in the airplane when you guys had an accident. It was you as the CFI. I think it does probably give you some legal protection, helps you with tax purposes, things like that. And you would want to talk to an attorney because each state law is going to be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. But we are only going to write the policy in that individual CFI's name and only defend that CFI. But it wouldn't. uh, I guess the other side to that coin would be having your... uh, sort of instructional business set up through an LLC isn't going to necessarily interfere with the protections of the insurance policy either, correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So you're it, not going to hurt you know, yourself by doing it. No, no. And, you know, you can have your student, you know, write it to John Niehaus LLC, you know, the, the payment for your services. That's fine. That's not going to affect the policy. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's another question that comes up is just making sure that you're not going to, again, inadvertently do something that would interfere with uh, the way that it's supposed to work. Right. So um, my next sort of topic here that I wanted to bring up with you, and this is the one I've been looking forward to is wildest claims you know i think there's uh you know certainly we want to be respectful for for the individuals we don't want to say any names or or any of that kind of stuff but uh i'm sure you guys have seen some things and um you know through sort of morbid curiosity i suppose it's it's always interesting to hear kind of what kind of stuff comes across your guys's desk um anything that you can talk about yeah i mean you know Alaska always brings us unique claims, you know, from bear attacking, you know, the bush wheels up there, um, getting into an airplane because someone went fishing the day before and the bear smelled fish, you know, moose attacking airplanes, um, um, ATPs landing gear up. That's always a surprise when you see one of those cross your desk. Um and this is, this is something related to CFIs. I once got a call from an insured. They rented an airplane. It was him and three other CFIs. So there were four CFIs on the airplane. Our insured was actually in the back seat, but they had ended, they ran the airplane out of fuel. Oh. And they had to make an emergency landing. That was pretty shocking to me, considering there was four CFIs on board. 
and no one was monitoring the fuel fuel systems. We didn't, didn't end up getting a claim out of it because our insured was again in the back seat. But he called us and let us know that hey, there might be something coming along. You know, I might get dragged into a lawsuit because I was in the airplane. Huh. And we do not look fondly on um, fuel exhaustion. That that is something that um, if you run an airplane out of fuel, you're probably not going to get insurance again. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Um, former, uh, uh, of executive Mike Adams used to do a presentation that was titled what kind of pilot runs out of gas. He's actually, he did a mentor <laughs> yeah. live for us with that presentation. It was, it was great. So, um, I, I can understand how that would be, uh, looked upon unfavorably. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, so that, that that that's a bad one. Um, I mean, we had a an airplane sitting on a frozen lake on skis, and an earthquake came through, and you know, sunk the airplane, you know, fifteen feet out from the shore. Wow, yeah, I mean, that's a bad day. Yeah, especially when you're watching it happen. You know what I mean? You're sitting in your kitchen and you see your plane sinking from the earthquake. You know, there's nothing you can do about it. I can just imagine being on the phone with the insurance company, going, "Yeah, so." An earthquake sunk my airplane into a lake and have you guys. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Sure. <laughs> and the volcano erupt too. Like, wow. And, and there's no excuse exclusion for earthquakes or volcanoes in our policy. So if that, That's... if those freak accidents happen to occur, you know, you would have coverage under the, the Evemco policy. That's incredible. I, uh, I the craziest one that I remember um, here in Michigan, the university that I used to work for, um, you know, we have all of these out airports that we would take students to to do night cross countries or or night takeoffs and landings and stuff like that. And uh, a crew was out doing night landings and um, a deer ran across the runway and it, you know, everybody was OK. So I'll, I'll preface the story with that. But a uh, a deer can cause quite a bit of trouble for a, a Cirrus SR20 that that we learned. So it wasn't me, but uh, um, boy, it was <laughs> it was gnarly. Yeah, I've seen quite a few claim pictures of, you know, airplanes impacting deer. You know, we, we get a few of those every year. Really? Do you have I mean, OK, we'll leave Alaska out of it because we know Alaska has uh, has some some interesting flying. But is there a region of the country that tends to have more issues than others? I mean, there's certainly states that have higher loss losses, but that's a combination of, you know, the amount of pilots or planes that are actually, you know, flying, you know, California, it's a very large aviation state, Florida, mm -hmm. large aviation state. So those are going to tend to have more losses just because the number of people that are act actively flying, um, you know, your Midwest states fly over country, you know, they tend to have less pilots. So they have lower losses, generally speaking. But I, I would say everybody we, we tend to see the same type of losses over and over again, you know, landings and taxi losses, you know, and then the rest of them are, are weather related, you know, things that are kind of out of control of the insured. Hmm. I remember, I think one of the other wildest things I've seen, I was at sun and fun back in, gosh, this was, was it 2011 that the tornadoes hit? 
I was there. I don't re- remember the year, but it was intense. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys have? I remember some of the some of the companies had some pretty long lines at their booth that they weren't expecting. Did you guys have the same issue then? With uh... I mean, we had a lot of people. A lot, everyone came in the hangars when the when the tornado or the straight line winds or whatever it was came through. So we were busy, but we we definitely had some claims out of it. Um, but it wasn't as bad as you, as it looked, you know, out on the field. Yeah. Um, but we definitely picked up a few claims. We always pick up a few claims from Oshkosh, you know, someone has a prop strike, hits, hits a divot in the, in the ground and have a prop strike or clip a wing, things like that. So all these shows, you do pick up a claim or two. Um, we just, hopefully it's not tragic, you know, <laughs> right. and we've been able to avoid that the last few years. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I, I I don't think I'll I'll ever forget watching the uh, the just craziness of that year at Sun and Fun. I mean, I remember seeing a C one thirty moved on top of a Cessna caravan. Yeah. So for anybody who's ever seen any of those pictures, or if you haven't, I'm sure you can find them. I mean, there was there was even one where I think it was like three airplanes were just neatly stacked on top of each other. It was incredible yeah yeah i remember the air cams being flipped over when amphibs being flipped over and i I believe there's some youtube videos out there it's been a long time since i looked but i did did look you know after the event and there were definitely some out there yeah yeah so luke as we start to wind this down a little bit um you know are there uh other points whether about this policy or just kind of uh, aviation insurance in general that uh, that you'd like to hit on that we haven't talk to our members about already? Um, I, I would just encourage people to make sure you, you read the product that you're purchasing. Um, that's one of the biggest things I think we get as an underwriter on the phone, you know, people not realizing what they may have purchased. And, you know, all the Avemco information is available on our website or, or just give us a call. We're happy to discuss anything with you even if you don't buy a policy from us we're happy to discuss you know what our policy is and what we can do for you and and we're really good with especially new pilots you know you nafi cfis out there tell your students to give us a call and we're, we'd be happy to you know discuss where they're where they need coverage if there's gap in coverage and, and see what we can do to help them that's good advice. That's good advice. And I, I just, as you were talking, there was one last point that I, I wanted to bring up because I think it's kind of a, a common misconception and, and we sort of touched on it a little bit, but I encourage people to remember that, you know, I've heard stories of, oh, well, the owner has an insurance policy. That's good enough. Um, and my understanding is that the owner's insurance policy is meant to protect the owner. That owner's insurance policy, most likely, and I can't say, you know, you never know with insurance, but most likely is not meant to be there to protect you, to to solve any issues that may happen just because you're on the airplane. Is that an accurate statement? That would be an accurate statement. With with the Avemco owner's policy, the owner has coverage while they're receiving dual instruction because we're requiring that dual instruction. But we're not going to defend that that CFI if that owner turns around and sues you, or you, you, know, you get an accident, and you get sued. So that's where that NAFI non-owned CFI policy would kick in 
to help protect you and those assets after the loss. And I think that's a really important point because, you know, we, we understand what it means to have your own, but, you know, remember that the owner's policy is meant purely to make sure that any of their interests are taken care of. You end up, you know, unfortunately to use this term, you end up being sort of ancillary to the situation. So if you want to protect yourself, then you need to make sure that you go out and, and find ways of protecting yourself. Um, and, and this would be a good, good way to do that. Right. Yep. So Luke, I appreciate you taking the time today. I think we all learned uh, quite a bit about uh, what we need to do to, as we said, protect ourselves. And uh, if they have any questions, um, feel free to give Avemco a call or uh, go to www.avemco.com forward slash NAFI if you're interested in the plan. Um, do you know the phone number off the top of your head by any chance? Yeah, 800-863-8368. Three, three, six, eight. Nice work. <laughs> well, Luke, thanks again for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you.